All right, you're very welcome along. I'm Kieran Bradley, and as you can no doubt tell from the fact that you are hearing my voice, we've got a slightly different format to things today. We realise, of course, uh, that this is a very high-profile case. It's also a very fast-moving case, and it is a case that uh, has challenged two very experienced court reporters themselves uh, on knowledge of uh, the law, knowledge of particular cases as it goes. So we wanted to throw it out to you and see what questions you had for the lads and, um, indeed, what kind of terrible answers they can come up with. Uh, so <laughs> we're, um, but we're, we're delighted. And, and we also wanted to say uh, thank you so much for, for your time with us. We, we really enjoyed putting this together for you. It's been a real labour of love between uh, Mick, Paul and myself. And I believe Mick, is he's indicating that he wants to say something. So here we are. I was, I was telling you, Kieran, earlier off air, I, I, this case and the podcast specifically has completely reinvigorated me. I must say I really, really enjoy it and I really enjoy the interaction. I always remember uh, I said there was a murder attempt on Daniel Kennehan in 2013 and it was 2014 and uh, somebody who listened kindly DM'd me to, to, to correct me. Now, maybe he thought he'd been a bit, of, a bit of a bollocks, but I thought that was great because it shows great <laughs> interaction and, you know, it's... It, you know, it's not like we're very precious. People who listen know lots of things that sometimes will, will slip our heads. So it, for me, it's been a great sort of eye opener. And, I, I, you know, breaking this fourth wall thing, it just brings, it bring, I think it brings us closer to people who want to hear what's going on. Yeah, it, uh, it, it did strike me that obviously it feels like you're putting it out to the ether a lot of the time. And the first time that I had a, a real sense this was resonating with people was when I messed up enormously by muting one of the audio tracks and had about a thousand DMs within, <laughs> within a few minutes. So it was nice. Um, but listen, in the interest of um, yeah, moving this along slightly, um, we, I just wanted to start with one from Tom Douglas, which was a quick one to Paul. Uh, have Healy's fingers fallen off yet? <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, no, the, the, I think my back is in more pain than my fingers, but yeah, no, <laughs> I appreciate people's, um, kind remarks about, uh, my ability to type quickly. The secret is my iPhone. I mostly was typing on my iPhone, which I'm quite used to texting. So I think, uh, that helped me, uh, type more quickly. I did do some of it on the laptop and, uh, certainly my colleagues, uh, were doing a great job in that as well. Um, you know, so look, it's nothing special. Uh, we we learn from sitting in the court for as long as we have uh, to try and type it out as quickly and as accurately as possible. I didn't know you were using your. Uh, sorry, I I didn't know you were using your iPhone. I bring in my my computer, and obviously that when I'm there, uh, I think it would be much more difficult doing it on your iPhone. I remember actually, you know, I remember doing the Graham Dwyer trial uh, on the iPhone. And that was really hard because we were we were doing that live. That was the first real case we did live tweeting, and it was you know it was like two a minute, maybe more. But uh, I think I find it just easier technically and everything to do it on the laptop because you can have it. You know, it's on the we all have the the press section has a wee bench, I suppose, and you can lay it on that, and it's much easier and quicker to type. There, that's me teaching you how to do it now, Healy. <laughs> well, maybe us younger generation were more used to typing on our phones. I think I've written so many stories on my phone now. Like it's, you know, but anyway, that's just uh, the difference between us. All right, let, let's <laughs> let's leave that there before this goes down a, a really yeah. nasty route for us. <laughs> um, but no, listen, thanks, Tom, first of all, for, for that question. Um, no, I mean, we, we've had, obviously, an enormous amount of questions here. And, and, of course, we won't be able to get to all of them, at least today. So we will try and endeavour to, to get back to them at some stage. But I do think that um, 
a good one to start off with maybe without getting too meta about it was one from at boggy365 on on twitter and um, how difficult or easy do you find it to remain objective when reporting on a case like this it's easy to look at a lot of the online commentary and become a little bit biased now obviously this is with all the provisos that we can't comment and we can't speculate and, and we wouldn't wish to but i i, I do yeah, i'm very interested as to what you guys think on that i've never had a problem um <laughs> Like, I mean, as I say, I've been covering Jerry Hutch since I started in the Star in March 2000. Uh, first big story I did, and one of the first big stories I did in the Star was we got undercover surveillance pics of him walking down Tobbs Street in central Dublin with a a rucksack with like half a million quid in it. He was making a payment to the Criminal Assets Bureau and it was a great splash. So, you know, I've known Jerry Hutch and as I said before, I've made several hugely unsuccessful efforts to win him over. Uh, by ringing him and he always says no comment but I've never had a problem look I mean it, you know, neither Paul nor I it's not our first rodeo when it comes to court cases so you know we just do it yeah I think the special criminal court has probably given us greater scope to give a bit more of our opinion and analysis uh, were this a criminal trial we certainly wouldn't be able to do anything like this um, yeah it's important to state that there's a trial going on and it's up to the judges to ultimately decide the outcome. Uh, but we can, of course, and we have done so, g- give our analysis and understanding of some of the names and the people that have come up. But like in terms of remaining unbiased, I mean, I think that is maybe the job of a journalist uh, all around. Like we're not supposed to give our opinion. And uh, I, I suppose our opinion really doesn't, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I, our opinion doesn't really matter ultimately in the long run. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that would be my answer to that. Sorry, there, there's a difference between opinions and, you know, using our ability to contextualise things. And I think that's one of the strengths of this pod, that we are very good at, well, you know, Paul might say something and I'll go, oh, I remember covering that case in 2003. So I think that's one of the things that I'm very happy about, that we, we leave opinions at the door, but we do contextualise and we do make it hopefully easier for people to see the bigger picture, because it's not just about this, it's about the whole feud. Yeah, and I, I I would just add one thing here, and uh, and I don't want to get too on the uh, on the soapbox at all, but you know the media has come in for a lot of criticism. The media is obviously a very multifaceted, multi-purpose thing in a lot of ways, but has come in for a lot of criticism over the last few years. And I think actually the the ability to report hopefully a case with clarity and and with some level of context is is reminding people that you know it is useful. It is a useful <laughs> tool as well. Um. And on uh, on this point, I'm, I'm, I would propose to sort of do the the ones that are a little bit more wider um, in scope to begin with. Um, at Dragon Three Six Five says, "Do the lads think that things will kick off again? Uh, the Kinnahans and the Burns now have a long list of names to go after." Uh, Mick, I believe you wanted to come in on this one first of all. So there hasn't been a, a murder in the feud since January eighteen when a man called Jason uh, Buttermolino was murdered in central Dublin. And a flats complex there, but there have been plenty of attempts. And I was interested to read the Garda annual report for 2021 that came out last week. And they said that they have intercepted 77, they've effectively foiled 77 murder bids since the regency. They always use the regency as the benchmark. Now, I remember last year, we uh, Mick O'Neill, the photographer, and I interviewed John O'Driscoll, who was the Garda assistant commissioner in charge of serious and organised crime. He's now retired, but he's the man who led the whole you know, the, the whole operation against the Kenins and all that sort of stuff. He told us last year there were 70. So there have been 70, there have been seven since then. And you know what? The vast majority of those assassination 
attempts are connected to the Kinnan Hodge feud. So even though the last murder was in January 2018, as I said, there have been other attempts since then. And the guards, organisations like the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, National Surveillance Unit, Emergency Response Unit, they're at the forefront. And Crime and, crime and, Intel, crime and Security, Security Intelligence in Garda Depot who deal with it in, in the intelligence, they're at the for, forefront of preventing more murders. And there's no doubt that if the Kennans had the chance, particularly the Kennans, because the you know, 16 out of the 18 murders associated with this feud came from the Kennans. So if the Kennans had the chance and have the chance, they will kill again. And there, there's no doubt about that. And one thing that investigators would always have told me that their worry, their fear is the feud has now become personal. And it's also intragenerational. So there are young people growing up who have lost you know, you know, associates and who in their neighbourhood, people they know were killed and it's very personal for them. So I worry and wonder about what the next five or ten years will hold about other personalities. And we spoke in the previous part about Young Turks and there's no doubt that Young Turks are always much more aggressive. So, you know, this feud could kick off at any time. It, it's 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 in abeyance, but it's not there. I think it's I mean, you couldn't have said it better, but I, I just somebody said something to me today um, that I thought was inter- an interesting point. So I, I, I'm kind of robbing somebody else's opinion, uh, but but they're they're dead right um, that uh, people in this criminal world uh, they don't really care about the criminal process that we're going through right now. Um, you know, they don't really care that Jonathan Dowdall is saying all of these things, and people on the Kinnahan side maybe don't necessarily care that Jonathan Dowdall has come forward and is giving evidence and if this ultimately results in Jerry Hutch being convicted they don't really care about any of that um they see they would see someone like Jonathan Dowdell as being a rat uh, so even though he might be making a case that might ultimately put their enemy Jerry Hutch in prison uh they they would look at Dowdell as a rat and nothing and that's the worst thing you can be in the world of gangland uh, so they don't care really what happens here. Nothing changes uh, in terms of their feelings towards their enemies like Jerry Hutch. And something I'd like to add as well, Kieran. we've had names, not being bandied about, but names of people allegedly involved in the Regency have been given in court, right? I can tell you, and I don't know, because it's not, we, they're said in court, but who knows, you know, who was involved, right? I'll, 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 I'll say that. But I can tell you, Within days of the Regency, it was told to me and others that the Kennans had a very good idea who they believed were involved in it. And there were like maybe a dozen people that they thought were involved in it. So those people are still targets. So no matter what happens here, and it's and it's called an underworld for a reason, Paul's right. Look, you know, there's the, the world in, we, in which we live, in which there's laws and there are rules and there are court cases. And then there's the underworld where... They have their own laws and they do their own things. So, you know, the court case will, it may affect, there may be a reaction to it. You know, somebody could strike back or whatever. But I don't think the outcome of any court case will affect how the underworld views this whole feud. Okay, very interesting. Um, well, one question here from Jenny on Twitter. I think this is something we covered briefly, Mick, in, uh, in the kind of background that we did. Um, but Jenny asks, has the trial changed your opinion on Jerry Hutch in any aspects? Um, I don't know if Mick, you'd like to come in on that. I, I would like to talk about that, actually. I saw a different side of him. So, I mean, I've explained this before, as I've said, I've been chasing him for 20, oh, more than 20 years. And I had his mobile, one of, I had his mobile number. And every time I rang him, it would be 
I have no comment to make to you and that would be it right so what was really interesting for me listening to the tapes was he was talking freely I obviously didn't know he was he was being recorded and he was talking freely and the one thing that I will take from the tapes apart from the word yokes and we can talk about the yokes later on because that word yokes is really really important but I just when 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 Jerry Hutch was talking to Dowdall about the feud I sensed regret I'm not I don't you know he's charged with a murder I'm not talking about regret about I'm talking about regret about the whole thing I'm talking about the regret of the feud blowing up and say I mean things that stick with me say for example if you remember Dowdall was talking about you know there's people in the south inner city who say they're team Hutch right now there was no bravado or anything from Jerry Hutch he was talking about look these are people's lives and you know, and he kept on saying there has to be another way. There has to be a better way than than violence, effectively. So, and he was talking about you know that effectively he was saying I'm going to paraphrase him. That's somebody's son, but that's uh, you know who's dead. So there was no glorification or gung ho where we're going to get stuck into these geezers. There was deep regret. I thought in he was very regretful and very sad if that's the right word at what was going on the whole chain of events and there were people on the other side and you could see that you know he was very unhappy about the way things had turned out so that I'm not saying it changed him because we saw a different side of him what was said it didn't change my view but it maybe widened my view of him yeah he does say on the tape that he wouldn't like to see anybody else getting injured you know um yeah, that was a fascinating thing to to hear. Um, but by contrast, there's also talk about uh, certain people having to go. Uh, it must be quite chilling. Must have been quite chilling to hear uh, that sentence as well. You know, uh, coming from him. Well, I I remember that, and it was for me. And again, it's not for us. We can give our analysis and our what we see, but it's up to the judges. But when he, it was very casual. That, yeah, about what that means. Yeah, but it was also yeah. very casual. It wasn't, and they have to go. It was even said, yeah. you know, very, very casually, and you know, it, it wasn't very agitatedly. I put it that way. But can I say one thing that really interests me? Right, and I'm, I don't want to lighten the mood, but I'm just obsessed with Jerry uh, Hutch's hair. What has happened? It, it just he always had a good tight haircut and suddenly he's got this you have to see it to believe it I, I mean he's a wee bit old for that really isn't he yeah a bit of a mane on him yeah um, uh, it's, uh, it's probably worth noting that do you remember when uh, the f- famous photograph was taken of him at his brother's funeral and he was wearing the, the hat and you could see the grey coming out and, and everybody thought he was in disguise he was wearing a wig but no that's his real hair that really is what it's like yeah can I, can I just rant for a wee second about my, my one of my favourite stories about the feud it was when, when he was arrested uh, I w- over in Spain and exercised I mean, I've spoken to Paul about this we always we always really worry about getting things wrong right and I had a story while he was on the run that he had grown a beard and had long hair right and then he gets arrested and there's the, the video of him being arrested and he doesn't have a beard and his hair is not particularly long so oh, Jesus Christ I got that wrong <laughs> but but then uh, Jared Cousins a really great freelance journalist over in Spain afterwards did an interview with the Guardia Civil who arrested him and they said yes we've been following for a while and he had a beard and long hair so I just felt a huge sense of relief because you know, we had it in the front page and people were I think people were actually messaging me on Twitter, on Twitter taking the mic because when they said where's his beard Mick so there you go <laughs> it's actually you know what that actually you know what it's the it's a terrible fear we have all journalists will have this and we don't really talk about it fear of getting things wrong right now there's a bit of leeway in the special but I can tell you we go to sleep at night worrying about our copy 
and even the special it doesn't really allow that just that i think it's even a person and we do make mistakes but just even the personal thing of being wrong it really weighs it certainly weighs in my mind and when i was covering jury trials it's it's really 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 tough thinking of say the anacrasial case you didn't want to get anything wrong in that so court covering court cases is extremely stressful now this one is slightly less stressful but you still personally You've got your own pride. You don't want to. You don't want to mess up. Yeah, there's a cost to it from a trust point of view, of, of course. And you know, you guys are thankfully excellent at your jobs. If uh, I can pay you one compliment this evening, I'm going to move on to uh, two questions, kind of along a similar vein here. Um, these both came in via DM on Twitter, so we'll probably keep the names off for the moment. But uh, do you think the state is beginning to regret using Jonathan Dowdle as a state witness, or is there no such thing as a bad witness? And as a kind of connected one. If this was a jury trial, would Dowdle have been put on the stand? Interesting. Um, I'll answer it this way. <laughs> uh, I would say that it was interesting to me how little time the prosecution spent with Jonathan Dowdle. Uh, spent half a day with him. Um, and <clears throat> specifically, they asked him certain questions to confirm uh, elements of their case. Um, when you're referring to the village, is it Buckingham Village? When you're referring to the Yokes, is it the AK-47s? That's really all they wanted from Jonathan Dowdall. Whereas the defense spent eight days, abs- as he said, you're tearing me to shreds, uh, tearing him to shreds, bringing him down, uh, trying to point out how unreliable a witness he is and how many times he's lied. And several, several times throughout this, as as we know, Dowdall has admitted that he lied. Uh, but now he's telling the truth. And we're supposed to now believe what he's saying is the truth. So obviously he's, a, he's an unreliable witness. That is provable in terms of things that he has said have been proven lies. Uh, so from that point of view, I imagine that he probably uh, is a bit of a headache for the prosecution. And it was quite obvious that they, the purposes that they want Dowdall for were to confirm uh, elements on the tapes in particular uh, about the yokes. And, and that's going to be a huge element of this case against Jerry Hutch, the talk about the yokes, because Jerry Hutch says certain things about the yokes and we've got to move them up and we've got to get them to these lads. And they're supposed to be the three AK-47 rifles. That's prosecution's case. Um, I, I would, I'm just starting to think that that you know, look, Dowdall is an important aspect of the of their case, but I don't think that the prosecution, the state, is going to lean heavily on Dowdall as being the only aspect of their case against Jerry Hutch. It's what is said on those tapes uh, before they even had Dowdall as a witness. The tapes w- was their case. Remember that they had the DPP ruled. Um, that there was enough evidence there to charge Jerry Hutch with murder and to extradite him and bring him back here. And that was before they had Dowdall as a witness. So, you know, whatever about him being maybe a nightmare witness for the state, he is not their entire case. He's an element of it, uh, but but they, they have other aspects that they're going to, to say means that Jerry Hutch is guilty. That, that'll be up to the judges. But what do you think? I, I, don't think they'll, I don't think they'll regret it. I mean, he's a witness and... It's up to the judges to this. I keep on saying this. I, I know it's sounding like a broken record, but that is, this is really it. I mean, the judges are going to decide on points of law and they're going to decide on the credibility of him. So I don't think, you know, the man has made a statement. So, the, you know, prosecution couldn't ignore that. And they, they had to put him on the stand. They, they had no choice. And even, you know, that, that question about would he have gone into a jury, he absolutely would have gone in front of a jury. And I always remember there was a, a late judge in the Central Criminal Court, Mr Justice Paul Carney, and he had this 
there was one case they were trying to get a somebody was trying to get a case thrown out because of the uh, negative media publicity and the judge spoke about the robustness of the Irish jury okay and that's always stuck with me in other words they're citizens and the prosecution and the defence and people like us and everybody else has to respect the citizens will make will sit there and will examine all the evidence and will decide upon it and they will decide what they think of doubt also for me, he would have would have given evidence were it a jury trial, and I don't think there'll be any regrets by prosecution. It's up to the judges again, so no no issue for me really. Uh, we have another one here saying, "I get the bus home from the north inner city every day, and I see the guard outside Patsy Hutch's house. Is he under twenty four hour house arrest?" Mick, no, no, there's no such thing as house arrest in Ireland. Uh, and or protective, you know, he, he's not. But there is what the guards call a post outside his house, which is a 24 hour. There's a guard a car, a marked guard a car sitting outside his house to protect him. And also, very importantly, to protect the community in which he lives. And the guards are very strong about this. They're not just protecting Mr. Hutch, they're protecting the community. And there were several others at the height of the feud. There was one, uh, Johnny Hutch, another brother. He lived in another part of Dublin, up near the headline bar there on the North Circular Road. And there was a post on his house, but he sadly passed away. He, he, he had a fall down the stairs and that post has been taken off. But they're, 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 they're called you know community safety posts they're to protect the community because there, there is a risk and there is a risk. The guards still judge that there is a risk to Patsy Hutch's life. We know that Patsy Hutch has survived several assassination attempts the guards have saved his life on several occasions sometimes they were within a couple hundred yards of getting to him so yes there is a, a full-time guard of presence in that area to protect him and to protect the community uh, i mean yeah we know those fears are well founded there was an attempt uh to lure him from champions avenue bring him out uh, on the bike and to uh to to shoot him as he came out um so in spite of the fact that the the Kinahans knew that this uh this Garda post was there. They were willing to uh, to try um, uh, and concoct a plot to lure him out uh, of his home in Champions Avenue, uh, even with the Garda presence. So the threat is very real, or the threat certainly was very real uh, over the last number of years. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it's a, a timely reminder of how, how much a part this plays in Dublin life in general. Um, another one that came through via DM, Paul, this might be one for you to begin with. Um, will the monk have to stand, uh, take the stand, I should say, at any stage to be examined by the prosecution or defence? Is there any sense of whether that will be happening or would that have happened by now if that, if that was to be the case? No, he doesn't have to at all. He has a defence counsel. Uh, Brendan Grahan makes his arguments for him. Uh, it would be up to uh, Mr. Hutch and his legal team as to whether he would like to take the stand and give evidence i suppose that could still happen at any point in time um it's highly highly unlikely for it to happen because it's very it would be very unusual for someone charged with murder um not that it hasn't happened of course it has happened but it would be unusual uh for for someone charged with murder to get up and uh take the witness box and start speaking on their own behalf Uh, but maybe mick you have some uh, some prior history where this maybe has happened to you, experience where this has happened. It, it has happened, but just I'll just explain the way it works. The prosecution has their shot, shall we say, right? So their prosecution mounts their case. So every witness that we've had so far has been a prosecution witness, including Jonathan Dowdall, even though he was 
you know, cross-examined repeatedly by Brendan Graham. He was still a, a prosecution witness and the prosecution haven't finished. I mean, as I was saying earlier, you know, there could be more analysts coming on to talk about phones. There could be, you know, Jonathan Dowdall has spoken about his father. He said his father will, get, will be willing to give evidence. We don't know. They can call him and we don't see the list of something to anybody. The prosecution finishes then the defence starts their case. So, uh, 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 you know, if Jerry Hutch is to give evidence, it won't be as a prosecution witness, it'll be as a witness for the defence. Look, it's I'm not going to say it's unheard of because I've covered a couple of cases where it is where it has happened, where the, the accused have taken to the stand. I mean, the most recent example, the most glaring example is a man called Aaron Brady, who was on, on trial for the capital murder of Detective Guardy Adrian Donoghue in County Loud in January 2013. Uh, he took to the stand and he and he, now he wasn't in front of the special criminal court. He was in front of a jury, and he took to the stand, and he was found guilty. So, it's entirely up to the Mister Hutch and his legal team. There have been a couple of other. I can think of one other case where a man was charged with murder, and his wife he took to the stand and was acquitted. So, look, who knows? It's it's all up in the air, really. I think I think generally speaking, you, 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 people are usually advised not to. Uh, to do it, that it's usually inadvisable to do it. It's, it's usually considered to be detrimental. <laughs> Very rarely uh, uh, would, would you be advised by your legal counsel to, to take the witness stand. Um, but look, stranger things have happened. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair enough. Um, look, I mean, I realise we're slightly pushed for time, so I'll, I'll, I'll um, propose that these are probably the last couple of questions we'll get to. Um, could Patrick Hutch Jr. be brought before the courts again after Dowdle named his as named him as the man in drag? Um so, uh, uh, yeah, we just need to clear this up. There's a thing called the nolle prosequi. It's Latin and it basically means they're not going to progress with the case. So when when Mr. when Patrick Patrick Hutch Jr., the case against him was has was effectively shelved. So it's entirely up to powers way above our pay scales. But you know there is a thing called double je- double jeopardy where you can't be tried twice. Well, they've, they've changed it for murder, actually. But, you know, the whole thing in the movies about double jeopardy, once you're acquitted, once you can't be charged again. But this is still on the books. So, look, I mean, the best example is, you know, the famous case of Malcolm MacArthur. He was charged with two murders. He pleaded guilty to one and the other one was kept on the books as an Ollie Prosecco. So it's sort of on the shelf. Technically, they can, but I, I would say that's unlikely, but it's, well, you know, somebody will have to decide that. But it's not, it's not case closed. The- greater question maybe is in relation to it's important to state that this person also isn't before the courts but Patsy Hutch the father of Patrick Hutch has been name dropped a number of times in relation to this um, with Jonathan Dowdall and with the uh, with the evidence in relation to the surveillance and uh, you know um, it was said by by Brendan Graham um, that perhaps off the foot of some of the evidence that we've heard before this court, uh, that it, that there was potential for other individuals to end up being charged uh, on the basis of, of things we've heard. Um, it'll, it will obviously be up to the DPP and the Gardaí, um, but the, uh, a lot of things have been said about uh, Patsy Hutch, about Mago Gately, uh, Patrick Hutch uh, Jr. Um, look, we'll have to see what happens. And I think Jonathan Dowdall did say that he was willing to give evidence in any other cases that may arise. But again, way above our pace. He did. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, just one final one um, before we head for Christmas. A long way to Christmas break, I must say. Uh, Do you guys ever wonder if people involved in the feud are listening to the podcast? Well, I would hope they were. Uh, As I've said repeatedly, 
this feud has been, you know, one battlefield in this feud has been in social media. And we know that, you know, there were pro-Hutch and pro-Kinnon Twitter accounts and everything. So I'd, I'd be surprised if they weren't. I know Daniel Kinnon, everybody knows this. He did have a, a, a Twitter account, you know, sort of, bef- it sort of was before the feud, but he sort of got rid of that when, when everything hit the fan. But he did have another one. And I don't think it was a sort of secret one. And he was following me when I was following him. And I don't know if he knew that I knew that he knew that I knew or whatever, you know, but I was sort of going, right, he's following me. I'm following him. I'm going to reel him in. But then he blocked me. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, look, um, it's it's worth noting that uh, in the transcripts and the tapes um, that Hutch and Dowdall talk at length about the papers and the coverage in the papers. So clearly, at least uh, those two individuals were very interested in uh, coverage and what was being said about them. So uh, no doubt there are other individuals out there who have a um, maybe a keen interest in what's being said and, and written about them. They might not necessarily be listening to us, uh, but uh, there's there's no doubt that uh, that they keep a keen interest in what's being said, uh, for sure. Before we close, can I... Sorry, but just before we close, can we give a shout out to all the, the journalists who are covering this? Because I think they've all done a, a really, really fantastic job. So Frank Rooney, Nicola Talent, Mick Doyle, Ali Reardon, Owen Reynolds. Help me out, Healy, in case I forget people and I, they run me down when I'm over <laughs> the next time. I I I got Robin Schiller. Robin Schiller. Yeah. No, I'm gonna get it. The people are gonna get annoyed if John I don't Hand. mention them. Um, Hand. Yeah. John Hand. Yeah. John, John. John Hand. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh. Paul Reynolds. Obviously. Now. Look. There's. There's. There's plenty. In particular, I would say. Um. You know the the Owen Reynolds and Ali O'Reilly mm. who are in the courts every day. That is their job. Uh. You know. I mean fair play to them they're 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 there day in day out you know we we've called in and we've sat in on this um trial in particular but they're in covering many a trial and 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 so they're doing a great job uh, but but everybody that's covered this throughout um uh, has been doing a great job all right well on that uh very cheery note um we'd like to wish you all first of all a, a very merry christmas and we're quite wary of course that a lot of the questions that have been very kindly sent into us won't have been uh, we're not able to have got to tonight and um, we do propose to do one or maybe even more uh of these in the new year so uh thank you very much to everyone who's been listening to us this year um and i don't know if the lads have anything in particular you'd like to say but the floor is yours yeah, no, just thanks again for listening. Uh, hugely humbled and uh, very happy to see the amount of people that have listened and followed along. Uh, yeah, it's just been a it's been a thrill. So thank you. I, I really, really enjoy it. And anybody who knows me and Healy know that we, we very rarely argue and it's really great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think we can reasonably leave it on a lie uh, for the year, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, yeah, thanks again to everyone and um, we'll, we'll catch you in 2023. Take care.